Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. And welcome. Good morning and welcome to the Live Life Liberated podcast. I'm your host, Derek Myron, and I'm here with my colleague and guest, Christopher Hyman. Hello, Christopher. Hello, Derek. Excited to be here. So glad to have you after this 4th of July weekend. Thanks for spending the time. I know that the topic that we're going to talk about today, private placement life insurance, is something that's near and dear to your heart. So thank you for coming on the show this morning. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for having me. Yes, it is. And uh, you know, I know you're going to help me not get uh, too technical here for our audience because uh, I have a tendency to do that. So <laughs> We're going to fly the plane at 50,000 feet today. So let's talk about who is the who is best served to listen to this podcast? It's ultra high net worth individuals and families defined as those that have assets north of ten million dollars, who have high income and potentially are looking to potentially shield some of those passive assets, the income on those passive assets. Also, those that think they're going to have assets are going to really explode in value. Want to mitigate the taxes on on those kinds of transactions? So it's those taxpayers and the professional advisors who serve them. That's the appropriate audience for this today. And I'm going to uh, be asking Christopher questions for the next 30 minutes or so, and uh, we'll see where that takes us today. So tell me a little bit about your background and what makes you an expert about private placement life insurance, Christopher. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Derek. Um, So I'm located in Delaware, and I went to the University of Delaware as a product of that, majored in accounting. And really, I had the tale of two careers. Up until 2014, I was in kind of back office operations, knew I wanted to get out of that and into something more direct to the client, adding value. And so I joined a a firm that really specialized in niche life insurance planning. And so, um, you know, that firm that I worked with, I was uh, tasked solely I mean, all the life insurance solutions there. And so really from 2014 to 2020, I pretty much saw every type of life life insurance design under the sun, including, you know, high value um, estate liquidity plays, supplemental retirement plays, private placement life insurance. So yeah. So and then in 2020, had the opportunity to join you folks at Centura. Haven't looked back. It's been a great experience. And yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I've, uh, I have a lot of experience designing these uh, tailor-made life insurance policies. We know that you love what you do, and we love doing it with you here as our colleague. Why don't you share a little bit about private placement life insurance? What is it's it's a bucket? It's a bucket that assets go into. Tell us quickly the history, how long it's been around, and uh, why why and who uses this bucket? Yeah, sure. So yeah, it is it it is a bucket, and it's a bucket that I'd like to call it a tax efficient bucket for tax inefficient income. And it's really a bucket that has low fees, right? Very high flexibility. There's no surrender charges in the bucket and you have high investment customization. So uh, private placement life insurance has really been around since the mid nineties, let's call it sort of hard to place the exact timing, but that's about the time we saw it, um, you know, spawn about. And uh, uh, it really didn't pick up steam until around closer to 2015 when the barriers to entry became much lower. Originally, there was a lot of premium, a lot of upfront investment that a client would have to put into this contract, a style contract, in order to really um, have the investment customization that, that that was warranted. But I mean, who's it? Who's it for? It's for the high net worth individual that's looking to that's looking to invest in assets that 
you know, traditionally spit off very tax inefficient income, think private credit, high turnover hedge funds, or assets that there where there's conviction that they're going to pop in value and produce sort of high long-term capital gain. So those are the type of assets, those spicier assets that go into that bucket that we're talking about. And, you know, as, as PPLI stands for private placement life insurance, it is a life insurance contract. And there's really no more tax efficient product on the market than a life insurance contract. And so we're taking those assets and we're wrapping them in that and using those tax advantages. So for the right taxpayer, for those that are wealthy enough or have high enough income and enough wealth, there are certain assets that belong in this bucket rather than a a bucket that doesn't have tax efficiency. And so you're you're dividing up the assets that should be here, just kind of like the, it's kind of like asset location on an overall balance sheet of what assets should be in your retirement account what asset should be in your non-qualified account. When you get wealthy enough, it's what asset should be in this bucket, this private placement life insurance bucket. And I often run into professionals that just haven't heard of it. How come? Why, why is it, uh, it uh, flourishes in obscurity? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, and really one of the main reasons why was those traditionally uh, steep barriers to entry. And so each really each one of these deals is sort of a tailored, customized deal. And it, it can be complex if you don't have the right professional team working and designing these. Really, I think a lot of professionals shied away from these. They didn't see it as valuable um, as much to them as just really investing on the outside. So you have an RIA where clients traditionally investing in these type of assets, right? Um, instead Who's of- an RIA, Chris? So who? So Christopher, please tell me the four different professionals that you would need on your team in order to do private placement life insurance structuring? Sure, absolutely. So number one, you're going to need, and this is in no particular order, but you're going to need an investment advisor, right? That's, uh, you know, that's making the selections of the investments and making the allocations. You're also going to need a insurance uh, design expert, let's call it a private placement insurance, um, you know, solutions expert that's going to understand the nuance and how to design these and how to minimize fees and how to opt and create the optimal structure so that these can be tailored in a manner that's suitable to the client. Uh, you're going to need an attorney to be able to draft the entities and the contracts that are necessary, depending on the type of uh, you know private placement uh, design that we're doing. And you're also going to need a CPA to be in the mix here as well, in terms of um, you know the different uh, tax implications that are involved. So those are those who understand are, who, who understands it all. Correct, exactly. Those are those, those I would say are the four main players that are going to be involved in this in this uh, in this offering. So when you spoke about the insurance expert, you spoke about design, and that's super important is the design. But isn't there kind of three pieces to it's to the design? There's the maintenance of the compliance piece of it, mm-hmm. and then there's constantly needing new investments on the platform that the investment manager wants. So I mean, it's a it's a, it isn't just up front, right? There's stuff up front in the middle and at the end to make sure that this thing operates and stays compliant all the way through the life of, of the, the asset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just like any other really investment plan or strategy, this thing needs you know, on, ongoing care. This is not a set it and forget it strategy. And there's two crucial pieces of compliance that we won't go into great detail here, but um, one is the investor control rules and the other is the diversification piece. And so that's something that's easily navigated if you have the right professional team, but you definitely have to color within the lines there. You can get into you know, a lot of trouble. And, uh, and yeah, and also uh, based on uh, 
kind of prearranged, um, well, prearranged is the wrong word, based on an investment philosophy doctrine, right, that's set uh, before the contract is in place, the investment advisor is going to routinely change the allocations as needed in order, to, in order to make sure that the policy is in line with what the client intended. So I think you're referring to the investor policy statement on how yeah. those investments are going to be invested. But let's go back to the value proposition. So why would a client... What's the economics? Why does a client say, great, I'm willing to kind of give up the control on these assets and put it inside of this bucket? What's the benefit? Like, what's the cost benefit of that scenario, of that arrangement? Absolutely. So basically, these designs on average, when all all fees included, um, are going to be 100 basis points or less in terms of- um, Of what? In terms of uh, insurance charges, so total total base points of what though, Christopher? Oh, I'm um, I'm I'm sorry. Um, to to specify 100 basis points of the account value. So so if there's 10 million dollars in there, you're talking about the the annual cost is going to be less than a hundred thousand dollars per annum. Correct. Is that accurate? That is okay. that is accurate. And so what we're doing is we're taking the style of investments that are going to be wrapped in the structure typically you're going to spit out a lot more taxable income. The tax drag on the outside of this structure is going to be far greater many times because of those types of assets, you know, are typically tax inefficient. It's going to be greater than that hundred basis points. So you're basically trading tax drag for minimized insurance charges. And if structured properly, it's not even close. It's such a valuable trade-off for the clients that decide to go into this product. Like as a ratio, is it two to one, five to one, 10 to one? It depends. It can be, it could be 10 to one. Um, it could be yeah. two to one. It depends on the assets going in and the conviction of the uptick. Okay. So it really matters how, how much gain you're potentially going to avoid really determines the, but it's, you're trading 1% for 10 to 50% tax on however big the gain is. Is Absolutely. that accurate? Yep. Yep. That's accurate. Okay. okay. So I get the economics and I get that really could make a lot of sense from an income tax perspective if I feel wealthy enough to put some assets in that bucket. Talk to me about, that's the income tax planning perspective of it. Talk to me about the wealth transfer planning perspective of it. Do people use this for wealth transfer? And and that same example, they've got $10 million. It's grown to, let's say over... 20 years, it's grown to um, $40 million. I, I just chose 7%. So 10 million goes to 20 million in 10 years. 20 million goes to 40 million in 20 years. And this policy is going to have some death benefit to it. Maybe the death benefit is 50 million. So there's 40 million of cash and, and $50 million death benefit. How would they use this for wealth transfer, Christopher? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, it's used both as a wealth accumulation tool with the income tax advantage piece. And that's that's primarily how we tend to use it. But yeah, we'll also use it for wealth transfer purposes. And a lot of advisors and planners out there do that. And there's really so if so if it's held outside of the estate, right? If the life insurance is held in what's called an islet or an irrevocable life insurance trust, then the death proceeds will flow into that islet and they're outside the taxable estate of the clients. Um, so many times people will opt to hold a private placement life insurance contract inside an islet or inside a structure that's outside of their taxable estate. And you have to be careful when doing this with PPLI if you're minimizing premiums that go in relative to the death benefit. If you're just maximizing death benefit coverage, 
yeah, you want to, but there can be some caveats there. But a lot, of, a lot of times, what people will do is they'll use this as sort of an alternative asset class, put it outside of their estate, and it's just the tax deferred growth engine that's just growing. And so all of that, all of that tax advantaged growth will take place outside of the estate and be used as leverage to the to uh, to the next generation. Sounds like there's a lot of different possibilities and flexibilities on design. Is that true? Do you? Do you see them as very cookie cutter? Like, hey, you go to in and out, you get a one or a two or a three, or no, is there, you can order off, there is no menu, you can really kind of design how you want it. It ranges from both. It can be it can be cookie cutter. Um, each carrier has their own um, array of assets that are pre-selected. So it could literally be as cookie cutter as, hey, maybe you put in a million dollars a year for five years. There's a IPS, right? And the advisors adhering to that and investing in shelf um, investment options on there and it's held outside the estate and there's not much more planning or it could be very, very customized. So how you just des- described that, it sounds like a 401k plan. So you have this investor policy statement, the investment advisor based on this IPS investor policy statement is choosing these investments off of the, right off the, the you know, they've got these 300 investment choices and they're choosing different funds to put you in and and cookie cutter, you, you, got, a, you got a number one happy meal. You're Perfect. good. <laughs> that is that that is correct. Um, yeah, and uh, perfect observation. It's very very similar to a four hundred one k structure in that regard. Um, and okay. then this could also get very very tailored. Um, and if structured correctly um, through the use of what we call a separately managed accounts or SMA for short, uh, the the investment selection could be virtually unlimited. Um, depending. So now on- you don't have a menu. You've gotten the chef that you like at your best restaurant. You said come home. Let me fill the fridge and the freezer with the meats and the vegetables and the materials I want you to make this unbelievable gourmet meal with. And you as the investor gets to what? You get to put together an IPS that says, here's, here's what I want. And here are all the, here are all, here's all the materials to make the stew or make the meal. Is that, is that a good analogy? That's a that's a great analogy. I love that analogy. Yes, that is uh, that is correct. So these things can uh, range from cookie cutter to very very catered and tailored to the client's individual needs. So you were saying that it's been around almost thirty years, and you really what I heard you say is that flexibility in the last ten years with investment choice has really caused people to be more interested here. Can you? Can you explain why why are people more interested in looking at these solutions today than than they were maybe ten years ago? Yeah, absolutely, and it's because of that. So what we were just touching on with those tailored solutions, it's because the ability to do that, right, which is more enticing to a to a client and to an advisor, that has become easier. The barriers to entry there used to be maybe north of twenty five million um, in uh, mm-hmm. you know an upfront premium, and now they're anywhere from call it 2 million to uh, 5 million in upfront premium over the first five years. So just in the sheer volume of- As a minimum. As as a minimum minimum to go in, yep. So just in the sheer upfront volume of capital needed, that's that's changed. Um, Another thing is the amount of of, uh, companies that are offering these style products um, and that are allowing for separately managed accounts to be held within the product structure, that's been in- increasing. So those those two factors have really led to a, a lot of growth in this industry within the last, call it, seven to eight years. Okay. So <clears throat> sounds like minimums have come down. 
investor choice has gotten bigger and the number of carriers willing to participate with larger investment choice has also expanded. Those three things are have really driven more people to consider and evaluate the structure. That is that is correct. 100% correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, this sounds great, Chris. You're going to cut my taxes by half to 90%, depending on if it's a 10 to 1 or 2 to 1 uh, spread. That sounds great. And if I can give up the control, some control on, on a chunk of money that's going to go in this bucket and I can get it to go to my family, I don't need these assets. I can get it to go to my family upon my passing. This sounds great, Chris. What could go wrong? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Well, as previously mentioned, we need to navigate the investor control rules and the diversification. So uh, putting someone in, putting a professional in place that doesn't understand that, that could go wrong. But, but outside of that, the main, the main risk really here is investment risk is what I would call it. And anytime you're putting capital into a structure that's really dependent upon the performance of the underlying investments, if they don't perform as intended, then the structure isn't going to, you know, the overall strategy isn't going to look as it was, as it was modeled out. So investment risk and just the, those assets, you know, have uh, producing a negative return is the main risk to this, to this strategy, I would say. So you're going to have that risk though, whether you invest in your IRA, your non-qualified account or your private placement life insurance, you, you contain that investment risk regardless. It's not like there's increased investment, investment risk inside of the structure, correct? Correct. That's, that's absolutely okay. Yep. So you have that risk throughout. Let's, let's dive in a little bit to investor control. What do you mean by investor control? What does that mean? Well, so the investor control rules and there's um, various revenue rulings and private letter rulings that are involved in this, but it's really what it means is that the client or policy owner cannot dictate what's bought and sold inside the policy. They cannot say specifically, hey, go out and buy Tesla. And then the investment advisor goes out and buy buy, uh, Tesla. That's a no-no. That will result in loss of tax advantages to the life insurance contract. We do not want to do that. Okay. So we have to color within the lines. Absolutely. If you're if you know yourself as a taxpayer, you're you're bad at at following the rules. This isn't for you because you're, you're probably going to screw this up. If you, if you're going to feel the need to email your advisor every day and say, "Why aren't we buying this? Let's do that." That's that's yeah. You're that might not be the right product for you because there's you have to be willing to give up a certain amount of control there. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's talk about. So I think I I think I understand that I I have to really let go of that piece and if if that's not me I should probably not consider this go even go stronger than let's say you should not consider this if you can't do that let's talk about the next hurdle you brought up which was diversification who's responsible for that how does that how does that test get met how does that work just high level yeah sure so really the you know if we went back to the roles and responsibilities piece really the you know ppli planning expert um is either going to administer and adhere to diversification or they're going to you know hire an um a third-party ad- administrator it's it's not difficult to meet you just need to be conscious of it and what it essentially means is that no one asset can be more than 55 percent of the account value no 270, 380, 490. You need to have at least five assets in there. Now there's something called look-through funds, meaning that certain, uh, we talked about this pre-selected assets. Some of those are look-through funds, meaning you could go into one on the pre-selected piece. But for the most part, if you're customizing investment selection, you need to go into at least five investments. And whose responsibility is it to make sure that this diversification test is met? 
And is it an annual test? Like just. So it's an annual test in the first year. And then from there on out, it needs to be um, attested to quarterly. And it's completely not the client's responsibility. It's going to be the professional team that's in charge of putting this together. The client's not going to have to worry about it. It's going to be attested till easily, easily navigated if, if hiring the right team. Okay. Any other risks that a client should think about? So you said investment risk, investor control risks, diversification, anything else? Legislative risk can come to mind, similar to you know, it's similar to any tax strategy, right? Um, there can be certain legislative risks. Um, they, you know, if someone Googles PPLI, they might come across uh, an investigation that was launched by uh, Senator Wyden out of Oregon's the Senate Finance Chair Committee out there. He actually sent a letter to various PPLI carriers um, asking for clarity on some of these strategies. And uh, we really think this is uh, going nowhere as a bridge too far. Basically, he was a little perturbed um, at uh, Senator Kirsten Cinema from Arizona that the carried interest loophole didn't get closed with the uh, Inflation Redu- uh, uh, Reduction Act. And basically, Kurt, uh, Senator Cinema is backed by Blackstone. Blackstone owns Lombard, who's one of the biggest uh, private placement carriers. And so there was a uh, there was it was almost retribution after that um you know carried interest didn't didn't get uh done away with and so we think that's a bridge too far he's casting a very wide net and uh we think that's going nowhere but there's there's always legislative risk in something in something like this and we'll and we'll be you know keep our ear to the ground there like any tax strategy when they're looking for revenue they look at ways that they potentially could increase revenue and this is one such way and so with most tax strategies, you always have to keep your eye on what's how's the legislation going to change, whether right. it be from Roth IRAs or private placement life insurance, the legislation is always changing. Absolutely. So staying on top of it's important. How do you pick a good team to make sure you have the right team around you to put this in place, Christopher? Well, I think um, number one, I think, you know, you choose an investment advisor that you're already comfortable with. You know, you might have um, an investment team that you're already working with who has uh, has experience in um, in these these style assets, these alternative style assets. Um, you want to pick you want to make sure that uh, that person either has experience with private placement or has a relationship with someone who has has experience with private placement life insurance, because this is not something to just start, um, you know, start off the gate. Um, this is very nuanced and you want to have an experienced team that has, you know, that has some of these deals under their belt. And so they know what to avoid, they know what to look for and really how to design these. Designing these properly is not the easiest. And so we want an experienced team that's really dedicated to these type of offerings and customized deals. I think that's sage advice. I think that clients should really ask about the process of how this is going to get designed for them. And as they dig into process, they should uncover experience. And so unless you're the really the big, the the happy meal order, if you're really going to have the chef in the kitchen to, to, to really prepare a solution that really meets your needs, dig into what's the process and just have them take you all the way through the process from start to finish. And um, as you walk them through that and inquire and ask questions there. I think it'll become evident that they either do this, they do this a lot, they know it well, or this is not an area of expertise that that they know well. So I think that's very good advice, Chris. I know you offer a lot of advice around this topic with professionals. 
Can you talk a little bit about that and invite the listening audience for those of you who are professionals? Chris does a deep dive. He loves to go deep on this stuff. Kind of <laughs> share share with them that quick quickly, Chris, before we yeah. wrap up here. Yeah, absolutely. No. Um, yeah, we so we put we put together a monthly webinar series that really um dives a little deeper in the private placement life insurance, it's about the hundred foot level rather than 10 to 50,000 foot level. And uh, you know, we'd be more than happy to um send out the invite details there. And uh, you know, if you're more if you're interested in learning more about this and and getting and getting more on the technical side, feel free to contact uh, our office. Um, you can contact me at uh, c hyman at centralwealth.com. You can go to our website, centralwealth.com. We'll uh, we'll get someone to uh, provide you that invite information. But the uh, second Wednesday of every month, all the way through April of 2024, we'll be putting on that private placement life insurance uh, webinar series. So yeah. that's great. I've heard from centers of influence, CPAs, and attorneys in town that have said, yeah, I felt like I was in a 500 level college course, Chris, for I'd, I wanted to learn about it. I didn't know you're going to make me try to make me an expert on the, <laughs> on the topic. That's great. Let's talk about how about clients who are prospect people who are listening to this webinar and want more information about how to design a product for themselves. Who should they contact? How do they follow up? Yeah, I would I would recommend they um again, really, really the same contact list. They can you can email me directly at c hyman at centralwealth.com. You can um you can give us a call, um, 858-283-0306 is uh, my number here. You can contact Derek. Again, you can get our contact information from the website at centralwealth.com. But we're happy to help. We're happy to answer any questions um if you think this is something you'd be interested in or that could really add a lot of value to your situation. Well, Christopher, I know our time went by quickly. It's a hundred thousand foot overview. I know you like to get deep in the weeds on this. I really want to thank you for taking the time today to share your knowledge with our listening audience. And the last thank you always goes to you, our listening audience. Thank you for tuning into the Live Life Liberated podcast. And until the next time, be well. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results. 